God, this morning, we, we lift you up. Just invite you wherever you are this morning just to think of one time this last week where you experienced the presence of God, you witnessed his faithfulness, and I just invite you with that in mind just to turn back to God and say thank you. might have been just that unexpected kindness you experienced, that moment where God peeked through all the different things in your life and you're like, oh, there you are. One of the ways that we lift God up is just we turn back to him when we are grateful and thankful and we just recognize his presence in our life. That we aren't alone. wherever you are, just turn to God right now. Tell him what you're thankful for. If you're in a group of people, maybe you do it out loud, maybe you just do it in your head, however you are, just invite you in this moment. Even if you don't have words to say, turn your heart's posture towards God. That's why we're here this morning. And I also now just invite you to think of someone in your life who could use a prayer this morning. Or maybe it's not a person, maybe it's something in our nation or locally or internationally. I just invite you to turn to God with that. Bring that burden, that care, that anxiety, that stress you're feeling and just say, Jesus, help. Lift it up to him. Because he is the one who answers prayers. He is the one who listens to the cry of our heart. What's giving you a burden this morning? I invite you to lift it up to God. God, we take all of these things personal and national, local and international, and we say, God, you are God, not us. God, please come. Come into those fissures, into those cracks, into those broken places of our lives and our communities and our nation and our world that we might know that you are God this morning. God, we need you. God, comfort your people. Send us out to be a blessing to the nations that all might know your goodness in the land of the living. God, to you be all the glory and all the honor and all the praise from this day forevermore. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen awesome to be with you guys this morning. My name is Tony. I have the privilege of serving here on staff at Wellspring. It's good to be with you. Uh, If you're just joining us, (laughs) it's awesome to have you here. Uh, We're in the midst of our journey through 1 Corinthians, kind of wading our way through. Uh, And this morning, we're going to lean into what does it mean to be faithful? What does it look like to be a faithful participant in a church community? 
right? Because we all carry assumptions about what does it mean to be faithful into the everyday life of church, right? For some of us, it might mean showing up on Sunday morning and listening to live stream. For others, it might mean participating in a well community. For others, still, it might mean serving or leading or whatever. I know for me, uh, participation at the outset for me was just, I found this teacher at a church that I really liked. And what it meant to be faithful, what it was, I'd show up and I would just enjoy and listen to his teaching. And gradually, right, I got involved in a ministry, so then that became participation. Eventually, I started leading in a ministry, and I, over time, how I understood what it meant to participate in a church was evolving and growing and developing. And as we go back to the church in Corinth in the first century, right, they have their own set of assumptions about what does it look like to participate in church? What does it mean to be a church? And their values right, shape their participation. They have a high value for wisdom and knowledge and philosophy, and this shapes the culture of the church in Corinth. Along with this, they have this high value for supernatural spiritual gifts, especially this ability called, or this gift called tongues. Now, if you're not familiar with it, it's kind of a weird name, uh, but if you're familiar with the book of Acts, Right, the disciples are gathered, uh, and then the text says right, that the tongues of fire come down and they allow the disciples to speak in other languages that other people get to hear uh, that are from other countries and they don't speak the same language. And the church at Corinth really kind of is captivated by this idea of like speaking in spiritual languages. And they make this really central to what it means to participate in the life of the church. Right? So on one hand, you have wisdom and knowledge, and on the other side, you have this idea of speaking in a spiritual language. Now, Paul's aware of this, and as we enter into chapter 12 through chapter 14, Paul is actually going to start addressing particularly this idea of tongues. Right? So he's already talked about wisdom uh, in chapter 2, and as we enter into chapter 12, he's going to try and speak into this cultural context and broaden their understanding of what does it mean to participate in a community that is animated by the Holy Spirit. Now, what he's going to try and say is, hey, it's not just about tongues, right? And then he's going to get into chapter 13, and he's going to say, guys, and seriously, tongues is not even the most important thing, right? And you get that famous passage that everyone reads at their weddings, right? It's like chapter 13, love. But in the context, he's saying, actually, love is better than the gifts you're focusing on in Corinth, Right, and then chapter 14, he's going to specifically talk about their application of this specific spiritual gift, tongues or speaking another spiritual language, in chapter 14. So Paul uses 12 to 14 to sort of build this perspective of what does it look like to participate in a church body, right, that is a spirit-animated body. This morning, we're going to lean into chapter 12. Now, this is the beginning of Paul's argument or the framework he uses to set the stage for how spiritual gifts are supposed to operate within a local church. This is how he begins. Now, about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagan somehow or other, you were influenced and led astray by mute idols. Therefore, I want you to know that no one who is speaking by the Spirit of God says, Jesus be cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. Now, right, back in Corinth, they're thinking, 
Man, it's all about being able to speak in this spiritual language. And somehow, if you can speak in this spiritual language, you have this badge of like spiritual authority. Like you walk in, you get on stage, you speak in a tongue, and then you're like, <laughs> you know, do you speak in tongues? You know? And so they have this sort of self-elevation that is happening. And Paul is reminding them in the beginning of chapter 12 that actually that is not the beginning of the spiritual life. It is the Spirit who opens our eyes and softens our heart so that we can actually even worship Jesus as Lord, right? That is the beginning of the spiritual life animated by the Spirit, right? It is not about the externals of the gifts that come out, but it is about this beginning, the groundswell, the foundation is actually in the Spirit that we can even confess Jesus as Lord, right? Participation in church is not about the skills and the gifts we offer at their essence, right? It's not some sort of narcissistic parade where we just get to showcase our gifts and talents before the body, right? It is about worship. It's about obedience. It's about letting go and allowing Jesus to be the King and the Lord, the ruler of our life, right? This is the anthem of the Christian life. It starts with the Spirit, for the Spirit to be elevated and uh, celebrated as Lord, as King. Right? And it's only with this foundation right, that Paul then starts to talk more about the Spirit, and particularly about the grounding the diversity of the spiritual gifts, right? Because the Corinthians are all about this one gift, and he wants to now ground the diversity of the gifts when people are centered on Jesus as Lord, right, there's a diversity of gifts that surface. Why? Because God is a trinity. This is what he writes. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now, I want you to notice something. Verse 4. Paul writes, there's different gifts, but they flow from the same right, spirit. So I want you to remember, verse 4 is spirit. Verse 5, there are different services, but they flow from the same Lord. Right? In the New Testament, Lord is a way of referring to Jesus. So now you have, you have the spirit, and now you have Jesus. Verse 6, he writes, there are different workings, but the same God. Right? This is another way the New Testament refers to the Father. So now Paul has, in verses 4 through 6, outlined that the source of the gifts is the Trinity, right? Spirit, Son, and Father. From the diversity of the Trinity flows the diversity of the gifts. And he's trying to teach the Corinthians, hey, you guys are lopsided. You're focusing on this one gift when in fact God is a diversity. And it's from the diversity of the Trinity that the gifts flow. And when Paul here refers to different gifts and service and workings, he's not saying there's like three different ways that we behave in the church. Like some people get gifts, some people get services, some people get workings. That's not what he's saying. He's saying basically three ways of emphasizing the same thing, that the origin of the gifts are all from God. Right? God is the giver. We are the recipients. The Corinthians are trying to create a culture of conformity by elevating one gift above the others, saying, this is how you should be, everyone. And Paul is pushing back, and he's saying, hey, guys, God is the source of the gifts. 
God in himself is a unity, but he is diversity within that unity. And because of that, right, he gives us a diverse amount of gifts. Right? And these gifts that are given are not just for our enjoyment, but they're actually, as we get into verse 7, for the building up of the church. Right? The gifts flow from a common source, God, to a common aim, right? the common good of the church. Verse 7, now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Right? In Corinth, they would rather be on stage speaking a language that no one could understand, right? so that they could just be up here and be seen by everyone, rather than trying to build up the body the church, right? But the purpose of the gifts was never so that we could be this little narcissistic parade, right? The purpose of the gifts was always to build up the church so that it grows and fulfills its purpose in God. And what this means is then the gifts are not just about skills. They're also about heart and whether our heart is aligned for truly building up the church, for the common good of God's people, right? So the teacher who teaches so that people will think he or she is really smart, right, is not aligned with the Spirit. The servant who serves so that other people will applaud him or her is not aligned with the Spirit, right? The worship leader who stands up here and says, you know, wants everyone to look at him or her and say, you are amazing, right, is not aligned with the Spirit, right? Because the Spirit gives the gifts. God gives the gifts, so that we can build up the church right, for the common good. The church might be built up, equipped, and grow so that we might image God in the world. Right, it's with this foundation laid, right, that Jesus is Lord, and that's the beginning of the spiritual life, that the gifts, the external manifestations of the Spirit really flow from this central point that we are submitted to Jesus. And then the gifts flow from that source Right? The person of God, the Trinity, into a diversity of gifts that are meant to build up the church. And here Paul provides some examples. Verse 8. To one there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another faith by the same Spirit. To another gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another miraculous powers. To another prophecy. To another distinguishing between Spirits to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of tongues. Now, it's important to know, right, sometimes we approach this text and we're like, all right, there is the complete list of all the gifts that God gives. And it's like, no, no, no. Paul's goal was not to provide an exhaustive list here, because you can actually compare it to uh, two other texts in the New Testament, Romans 12 and Ephesians 4, and you'll find all of the lists are different. Right? Paul, in none of those places, was trying to provide an exhaustive list, but simply communicate there is a diversity of gifts. Let's just look at them real quick. So Romans 12, right? prophecy, service, teaching, encouragement, generosity, leadership, and mercy. What you'll notice, there's only one overlap with 1 Corinthians 12. Right? Paul is not trying to provide the same list in every place. Ephesians 4, right? he says there are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Right? Again, you'll see... Each of the lists is distinct, and Paul's not saying, like, these are the three lists, and if you combine them all together, that's the sum total of all the gifts in the church. Not at all. Paul is simply sketching out and offering examples for what does it look like to be gifted within the church. 
And the list here he provides in 1 Corinthians 12 offers nine examples. All right, the first two he starts with, wisdom, Sophia, and knowledge, Gnosis. He probably starts there because they're highly prized by the Corinthians. And then he ends the list with the, the, the issues that are causing the most conflict, tongues. Right, so he spends chapter 2 focused on wisdom, and he explains right, that wisdom isn't some like, special understanding or like, someone who can fathom the mysteries of life, right? those deeper things. What he really talks about in chapter 2 when he talks about wisdom is that wisdom is really based and founded on Jesus' crucifixion and knowing who God is. Chapter 8, he talks about knowledge. You remember, there's this memorable quote. He talks about, you know, knowledge builds or puffs up while love builds up. Right? From a gift perspective, knowledge could be like a supernatural fact, right? So you're in a room and someone like gets a word of knowledge. I've actually seen this happen. It's pretty crazy where someone says, you know, this happened to me once. I was praying and God gave me this picture praying in a group, and I just described this picture. It was this house, and God was doing something in the house. And someone came to me after and was like, you described to the T my home growing up. And what you showed in there was work God was doing in healing me in this season. And it was just like, I had no idea what was going on, but God sort of gave me a supernatural ability to to describe this person's house. Crazy stuff. Paul says, sometimes that happens. After wisdom and knowledge, then Paul focuses on three gifts of supernatural power, faith, healing, and miraculous power. Now, obviously, we know faith is necessary to uh, salvation, right? So, it's only by the Holy Spirit that we say Jesus is Lord, right? That's an element of faith. But here, Paul is actually talking about faith, I think, that can move mountains, sort of faith that can lead to dramatic miracles in the world. And the reason I think this is true is because in 13.2, right, so just in a little bit, he will literally define faith as faith that can move mountains. So it seems like that's what he's talking about. Healing would most likely refer to physical healing. Miraculous powers could refer to just miracles in general, of which uh, healing would be one. And finally, he ends with four gifts of inspired utterance. So you have prophecy, discerning of spirits, tongues, interpretation of tongues. And we talked about prophecy last week, uh, but essentially the prophet is the one who goes into the community and declares God's true word. So this could be predictive, but it could be descriptive. This is what God says to you right now. The prophets did this all the time in ancient Israel, and it happens in the first century church and in our church today. Distinguishing between spirits is another one Paul talks about. It's literally discernment of spirits, right? So this is the ability to, God gives some people the gift to come into a room and discern ah, whether a prophecy is from God, whether a teaching is accurate, whether the culture has a particular spirit to it, right? So the person then discerns, is God at work right now or is something else going on? And then Paul, right at the end, he gets to tongues and interpretation of tongues, which we'll get to in chapter 14. But Paul's kind of providing this list of possible ways that God can gift us in the church. And then he ends with this in verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, right? And he distributes them to each one just as he determines, 
right? God is the one who distributes, and God is the one who determines, which then brings us back to the beginning, right? God is the source of all of the gifts, right? He forms us as his people. He gives us gifts, right, that are meant to be used within the body for the common good, right? Jesus is the Lord of the church, and all the gifts are meant to lead to His glory and His praise and His honor as the church employs those gifts and then is shaped into His image in the world. Then people look at the church and are like, wow, God is at work. And while the Corinthians are so interested in their one gift, right, and showcasing it in front of others, Paul is trying to help them see that giftedness isn't the point, right? God is. Right? Gifts are merely a means for the church to be formed into God's image, that it might bear that image in the world, that God might be, as we sang earlier in the song, lifted up. That's how Paul begins sort of his framework for what does it look like to live as a spiritual community, as a community animated by the Holy Spirit. And the question then is, how does this translate into our life today. And obviously we could dive right into gifts and we could do gift tests and all this kind of stuff. But I think if we're going to follow Paul's trajectory, the way Paul builds his argument, it has to actually start with Jesus as Lord. Right? Because for Paul, Jesus's lordship is a prerequisite to gifting. We can focus on externals all we want, but in the end it comes down to are we submitted to Jesus and the exercise of the gifts, right? This is the beginning of the spiritual life. It's not what we can do. It is who we serve. It is who we worship. And as you come this morning, as you tune in this morning, as you check out Wellspring, the worship, the message, like, I think the question is to us, like, who do you serve? Who or what do you worship? And I think if Paul was to come in here this morning, he would ask us, I think as Jesus would, like, why are you here? And are you willing to submit your life to God's will? Are you willing to let go and allow God to direct your steps? Or do you just kind of want to do your own thing? Now, if you're sitting there and you're like, I do not know. I'm not sure. Like, I'm, I'm bought in yet. Like, I'm, I'm just checking you out, Jesus. No pressure. But I think it's important to say, like, the point of the spiritual life is not learning. It's not even ethics as good behavior, right? It's a willingness to lay our life before Jesus and follow his lead. Right? And if you actually, if you go back to the Gospels, what you'll find is Jesus says, when you actually let go, when you lose life, then you actually gain it. And it's actually when we hold on to control, when we try and save our life, we actually lose it. Why? Because Jesus came to give us abundant life. He came to give us a life that we would flourish in the kingdom. And when we hold on to control, we actually limit the flourishing and thriving of our life. I think Jesus would say to you, like, if you're worried that if you hold back your life, you want to hold on to control, like, that might be actually a misplaced fear. Because Jesus has come to serve, 
to uplift that you might have life within his kingdom. Sure, does that mean you need to let go? Does that mean you need to stop striving to sort of build up and bolster your own resume self? Yeah, it does. But in the process, God wants to bring us life as we submit to him in his kingdom. So then the question is, with that as the foundation, if you are actually willing to let down your guard, worship Jesus as king and not you, right? Paul says, we get gifts, right? What gifts has he given you? Now, I just want to, as a point of clarity, I think it's worth saying, like, if you're in the camp of, I don't know about this Jesus guy, and you're not totally submitted, and you're like, I don't know, does that mean I have no gifts? Well, no, it doesn't actually, right? The Christian conviction is that all of us are formed by God in the womb, right? And God actually gifts us. He gives us talents and skills. He gives us things. And you see this, right? Like, there are people that are gifted in all kinds of things that are not Christian. But what we say in the church, what we say according to the Scriptures, uh, is that God takes those natural innate abilities. Bobby Clinton has this phrase. He was a professor at Fuller. He said, grace builds on nature. So God forms us. And then we submit our lives to Jesus based on our, what, what he made us at the beginning. He then builds upon that as we enter the church. This is almost always how it happens. Sometimes God gives us supernatural abilities that are totally disconnected from how he made us. That does happen. But more often than not, grace builds on nature. Now, for some of us, we know like, how we're gifted. For some of us, we're like, I have no idea. I want to propose just kind of a simple three-step process of how do you discern how God has gifted you? Step one, I think, would be this. One is just prayerful consideration of who God made you to be. Like, you should be able to look back on your life and think, like, when was a time that you, 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 you served, you contributed, you you offered yourself to, in your workplace, in a community, in a church, and you experienced a sense of pleasure. Like, it brought you life. You're like, wow, that was fun. And the organization, group, community, or whatever said, that was really helpful. Like, can you think of any times in your life when you did that? Like, you had that alignment between you had experience of pleasure and the organization, community, or workplace had an experience of, oh, that was really helpful. Well, then remember those times and think about what you were doing because likely you're tapping into some giftedness that God has given you. And conversely, think of a time when you served and it just was draining you and people around you were like, yeah, that wasn't really helpful. You were killing yourself and it didn't really help us that much, right? You were clearly not operating in your gift in that moment. Uh, A few years ago, I asked a mentor of mine like, I was on church staff, uh, and I was like, you know, how do I know if I am called to pastoral ministry? You know, how do, how do I discern this? And he said this. He said, Tony, are, are you experiencing joy? I was like, yeah, I, I'm liking it. <laughs> you know, I'm liking it. And, uh, and he said, well, from our side, we can say we can see the fruit of your ministry. And anytime you are experiencing joy and the community is seeing the fruit then you're likely on the right track. So if you're trying to discern how you're gifted, pay attention to those two things. The community is seeing fruit, 
and you're experiencing some level of joy. Doesn't mean there's not going to be difficulty and bumps in the road and there won't be challenges, but on some level, you, you would do it regardless, whether you were, you know, you would just be sort of playing around at it, whether or not you had a role or not, right? Just something you enjoy doing. Second, I would say after prayerful reflection and consideration, sort of mining through those experiences in the past, I think then that shapes experimentation on the ground, right? God's gifts are not meant to just be an idea we have in our head, like, I think I'm good at these three things, right? They're meant to be applied on the ground. And more often than not, the discovery of our giftedness flows out of service more than like a test you take online. I remember I, uh, a number of years ago, I asked someone like, hey, so how do I figure out my gifts? And he pointed me to some website and I took a test, you know, he printed it out, he handed it to me, he's like, here you go, right? And I got the paper, I put it in my drawer, and I don't think I've looked at it again. Right, because in the end, we don't need a list telling us what to do. We need a process of practice. We need a way to lean in and practice and say, oh, yeah, 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 no, no, this is working. This is not. The gift list that you print out on the computer might be a starting place, but it's not the end goal. Even think back to the life of Moses. Right, God calls Moses to do all these things, and Moses is like, I can't do this. And it's only as he does it that he learns, oh, actually, I can Right? Moses needed to practice. Moses needed to lean in and try and experiment. And as he did it, he realized like, oh, God really has called me to do this. Third, right? you reflect, you pray, you experiment. And third, right? it's always communally and contextually determined. Right? We all have a gift mix. None of us have just one gift. We all have a little mix of gifts. And that gift mix then is highlighted on the community and context we're in. When I was up in Washington at a church up there, right, I wasn't the primary teacher. So my teaching gift, right, so I would say my gift mix, if I was to sort of nail down a top three, are probably like teaching, some sort of, of leadership, and some sort of apostolic gifting or building things, creating new things. And those things, right, like when I was up there, I, I wasn't teaching all that much. So that gift wasn't used as much. But I was creating all kinds of things. Right? Depending on your context and your community will shape how the gifts are actually manifested in that community for that community's good. Too often we think, well, this is what I'm gifted at, and we just sort of try and make it happen in a context or community where maybe it's not needed. Maybe there's already a hundred teachers there, and you're like, well, I'm a good teacher. It's like, well, you're probably good at other things too. You might be really good at uh, service or welcoming people, whatever that is. In different season, God might highlight or underline a different part of your gift mix in a particular context and community. Now, regardless, what is super clear in the Bible is the gifts being used in community is never a question. They're always assumed that every believer has a gift mix that will be applied in community. Right, that every single person listening right now has a profound and beautiful and necessary gift to offer the church body. Right, so if you answered that first question, Jesus is Lord, what that means is God has determined that you would get a certain gift mix. 
that then he is inviting you, right? He didn't give it to you so you could just think about it, that he is inviting you to then apply on the ground for the common good of the church. One way to actually, one litmus test for whether you are truly submitted to Jesus is actually whether you are using the gift mix that he has given in the church body right now. Yeah, it's COVID. Yeah, there's all kinds of craziness. What that means is the context has changed. But that does not mean that the gifts that God has given us are meant to just lay fallow until everything clears up. Right? That is how the church stops growing. That is how the church stalls out. So I would invite you. I would invite you to consider, are you using the gifts that God has given you? Are you just kind of sitting on the sideline just waiting like, well, once COVID's uh, done, like, then I'll jump in. It's like, actually, I think what we do when we do that is we're missing the opportunity that God has given in this season, right? This is not as, we're not sort of sitting, waiting for this to end, right? This is the moment God has given us. What does it look like for us to be faithful stewards of the gift that God has given us in this particular context, in this particular community, at this particular time? Right, and the third point is that God is the source of the gifts. Right? And if the Trinity has given us these gifts for the common good, that we might image God in the world, right? not just in the good times, not just in the times when we are celebrating and smiling and happy, but also in the hard times, times like these, right? what does it look like for us to faithfully steward the gifts that God has given us? Maybe for you, that starts with reflecting. Maybe it's experimentation. Whatever it is, I think God is inviting us to use the gifts He has given us. And as we go back to the beginning, right, Jesus is Lord. Essentially, when we say, nah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take a pass on this season, what we're saying to Jesus is, like, no. I don't want to use the gifts you have given me. That doesn't mean we have to, like, force things that don't work. But essentially, there is a way that we can faithfully respond in this season. And my challenge to you, church, is what is God's invitation to you, given your context, given your season of life, given your responsibilities? What does it look like for you to faithfully walk forward into the invitation of God? Not recklessly, not heedlessly, not discarding your other responsibilities, but in a way that is faithful. Trusting that God has given you the gifts He has given you for this season. Not to sit on the sideline, but to play, to be engaged, to experiment, to offer yourself to God's people. Maybe it's prayer. It's just huddling up and concentrating and praying for all the people that are lonely and depressed and anxious and struggling in this season. Maybe it's calling people and just saying, hey, I'm here for you. Maybe it's bearing other people's burdens. You have a mercy gift, and God just wants you to use that gift to, to be empathetic and listen to people as they're struggling. Maybe you have a gift in helps and service, and God's like, serve people that have needs in the local community. There are so many ways that our gifts can manifest even in the midst of COVID, even in the midst of smoke being everywhere. Right? The gifts are always contextually determined. And there is never a context when God has not given us gifts that we can use in some way in that season.
It might change. But I do think that God is calling us to not just wait out this season, but to actively engage and use the gifts that he has given, that he has determined in this season, not just for our pleasure, but for his glory and the good of his church. I'm going to invite the worship team back up. I just want to take a moment just to kind of pray that as we lean into this understanding of a New Testament church, that we hear God's voice wooing us to himself and in service of his kingdom. So wherever you are, I just invite you just to, to pray with me for a minute. God, we want to live with like a people with open hands. God, we want to recognize and see, God, what does it look like for us to be faithful in this season? So God, we ask that you would speak to us. What are you saying to me and to our, our people in our church body? God, what is your invitation? What is your challenge? What is your exhortation to us? God, I know that you have something more than just waiting out this next season for us. God, I pray that you would unleash the creativity of your spirit in this body. You are a trinity. You are a triune God. You are a God from whom diversity flows. And God, I just pray that you would see that diverse expression of gifts rise anew in this season. God, just break whatever models we have in our brains of what, what our gifts look like or what church gifts look like. God, I feel like you are doing something fresh and new in this season. And God, we pray for just an unleashing of the gifts you have given us. God, that we would be a people who are like open to you doing new and cool things in us. New and cool things in our church body, bringing life and freshness to our church and this community. God, we pray against the lies that hold us back. That we have to be good at everything. God, that we're not good at anything. God, because both of those are wrong and they're lies. You have given us specific things. Ways that we lean into the body, that we contribute, that we offer ourselves. God, let us with responsibility carry those things. Let us let go of the things that are burdens, that are extra, that we're taking on because other people have told us that's what it means to be faithful. God, set our creativity free. Now, the Corinthians thought it was all about one gift. God, just explode that for us that we might be able to see all the amazing ways that you have made us unique in your image. God, I pray against idols, of safety and fear. God, that might keep us sort of trapped and hidden. God, I pray for a faithful, faithfulness in this body. And God, for all of us, as we sit in our homes and listen to this message and sing these songs, God, speak to us. Holy Spirit, speak to us. You are the source of all the gifts. You are the beginning of the spiritual life. You are the one who enables us to say that you are the Lord, that we might fall on our faces at your feet and say, yes, Jesus, to whatever you have. 
God, speak to us that we might be faithful. We need you to lead us and guide us. Come, Holy Spirit, speak to us.